commitments. We hear that all the time, don't we? And I'm on a string of invitations to various events, and they're all classed as pastor's appreciation. And I go with a smile on my face. I'm expecting you know, to be appreciated. I get there, and eventually they're asking for money. The Gideons wanting a bunch of pastors to give a bunch of money, which we don't really have. And then there was one event that I couldn't go to, so I said, we need a representative from the church there. So Bruce Stewart, one of our elders, went for me, and then he sent me a text later that evening, Greg, they just hit me up for $1,000, so I picked the best one to skip. That was the, the heaviest hit. So today is the day when I'm going to ask you to make a decision, to make a commitment. And it's based on the last five weeks of messages that we've been sharing here in this series called Count Me In. And before you make that decision, I want to share one more expectation with you. And that is the expectation, I will share my faith with others. Now, everybody talks about having a mission statement. Uh, churches do it, like uh, Christian businesses do it, and I even know individuals that have their own personal mission statement. Well, Jesus had one, and here it is. It's in Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. And if that was Jesus' mission, then that should be our mission as well. At one time, Jesus came upon a fig tree and he was hungry and he looked at the tree and all the tree had was leaves there there were no there was no fruit on that tree at all and he actually condemned the tree and people have said well why did he do that well it wasn't because the tree was old it wasn't because the tree was gnarly wasn't even because the tree was unattractive it was because the tree didn't produce any fruit There are a number of signs of a mature Christian, and one of them is the fact that a Christian is reproducing him or herself in the lives of others. So I'm going to challenge you to do that today. I'm going to challenge you to look at the people that you encounter each week in your lives, people that are outside of Christ and need to know him. And in order to do that, you need to look for the lost. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told three parables, and they were just bang, 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 one right after the other. And each one of them dealt with something lost. Like one was a lost coin, then it was a lost sheep, and then it was a lost son. And in each one of those, Jesus actually raises the stakes of what was lost. But he's driving home a point. Like in each one of those, someone is intently looking for that thing which was lost or that person which was lost and he's saying here's the message to you be the very same way in your lives in bringing lost people to God because they matter then another day in Luke chapter 19 we see a record of Jesus he was going through a town and then he noticed this vertically challenged man who had climbed a sycamore tree. The guy couldn't see Jesus over the crowd, so he climbs the tree, and Jesus looks up to him. He calls him by name, and he says, hey, like, we're going to do dinner, and actually, we're going to do dinner today, and we're going to do it at your place. So later on that day, that man by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a notorious tax collector, he was totally unfair in everything he did, But he came to know Jesus Christ. And here is what Jesus said to him. 
He said, today salvation has come to this house. What greater thing could there be to hear than that statement? So Jesus was constantly on the lookout for those who were looking for meaning and purpose in life. And in order for us to look for the lost, we have to look at the world with an eternal mindset as well. And we also need to remember that we as believers are no better than the unbelievers in this world. The only difference is we've swallowed our pride and realized that we can't do this on our own and we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've admitted that we need someone to save us. That explains why we read in Luke 14. I always point like that. It's because I have cheat sheet on the back there. In John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus answered. Without me, no one can go to the Father. So Jesus could return at any time, and we could be assigned to one of two eternal places. And the Bible teaches that we can only find salvation through Jesus. So that's why sharing our faith is so important, because choice, not chance, is going to determine our destiny. So unless you're intentional about building relationships with those in your circle that don't know Jesus Christ, you are going to end up in very different locations when eternity comes. You're going to be so far away from them, you will have no contact with them at all. So if you believe the Bible, then love and concern for others becomes the motivation for driving you to share your faith. The Bible speaks about a place of torment called hell 54 times. And guess who actually spoke about it the most? Jesus, our loving shepherd. He was the one that talked about it. And he went to some incredible lengths so that we wouldn't have to go to a place like that. People need to be told how to get to heaven. So that's where you come in in all of this. And 2 Peter 3.9, the Apostle Peter wrote, The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises, as some think he is. In fact, God is patient. He wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. But he is patient, and he is waiting for people to make that decision. So here's something you can do. Just have a little notebook with you. If you're a woman, it can be in your purse. For a guy, just in your back pocket. And as you run into people that you know are outside of Christ through the run of the day, just write their name down in that book. And then at the end of the day, pray for those people. And then maybe you can even choose a few names off that list that you could develop a relationship with. You could get to know them better, thus have greater opportunities to be able to share your faith with them. You'll never know what God is able to do until we actually Take the opportunity of sharing with them. So invest some time in those people. Invest some energy with them. Get to know them. Invite them to something that's going on at church. Invite them to the life group that you are a part of. See, we gather and we scatter as Christians. We gather together for corporate worship on Sunday mornings, and and then we scatter. We go to our own homes. We go to our own lives and jobs and in that scattering, that is where we spread the message of salvation. And remember this, 
were not cattle herders. I grew up on a farm, and we had to drive the cows in order to get them to go back to the field for pasturing and then to bring them home for milking. You'd be smacking at the last cow in the herd to get them to move. But we are acting as shepherds, and shepherds actually guide. We lovingly guide the people to Jesus Christ. So people need to know how to get to heaven, and it's going to be us that tells them. And another farming analogy is you will never experience a harvest if you don't plant the seed. You'll never know how God might use you to build a bridge to someone that you come in contact with. So look for the lost. A few years ago, there was a young man from China by the name of Yi Ming Sun, and he came here to learn English. And He wasn't a Christian, he was an atheist, but for some reason, he was going through the internet, found our church, and started to attend. And I had him do a study with our associate pastor, James Stevenson, and Yi Ming was this close to making a decision for Christ, and then he moved to Edmonton. And just recently, we got some, uh, some communication from him, and he has become a Christian, and he has been baptized. So you just never know how God is going to use you. We plant those seeds, and God does the work. And then we need to listen. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus had a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. And there was so much wrong with what he was doing. Women were worth nothing in that day, really. So Jesus shouldn't have been talking to a woman, let alone a woman of her reputation. She was most likely a prostitute. And then he was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Their prejudice was so deep in that day. But yet Jesus spoke to her, and he listened to the woman. He listened to her story, and she ended up becoming a believer. So one of the keys to sharing your faith is actually listening. James wrote in the first chapter of his book, My dear friends, you should be quick to listen and slow to speak or to get angry. Ask questions to determine where they're coming from. And and we don't have to do all the talking. And I'm actually saying that. That's for myself as well because I do an awful lot of talking. But we don't have to do all the talking. We can listen. See, have you ever noticed how the longer you're a Christian, the more believers kind of tend to pull away from those who don't buy into Christianity? Sometimes it's good because of the circumstances. It might be a situation that pulls that Christian down. It might be a place where there's an alcoholism or it might be a drug addiction or some other type of addiction that pulls them down and they need to make a break from that. And it might be that the group that they're a part of is so down on Christian matters that it's just a ridicule all the time and it's not good to be in that situation. But as you mature in Christ, you begin to realize you know, wow, you know, I've got something really special here. I have some amazing news, and I can't keep this to myself. I need to share this with others. But this is what we see. We see Christians gradually kind of pulling away from the world. A, a Christian man, he gets up really early in the morning, and he goes for breakfast. He meets two other Christians, and it's their accountability group. And they have an excellent session together. They pray together, and they head off to work. And then at noontime, this guy's co-workers come up to him. He said, hey, do you want to come out with us for lunch? 
but he sees the group. He knows how one of those guys talks, and he doesn't want to go with them. He doesn't want to be around him. So he says, uh, I'm just going to get some takeout, and he goes, brings it back to his office so he can have a quiet time that, where he can meditate while he's eating his lunch. And then later that afternoon, another group of guys, they come up and they say, hey, you're going to come and play in the softball, the, 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 actually the business softball team game that night? And he goes, no, nah, I've got some other things to do. And then he leaves work, goes and picks his kid up at a Christian school. They go home, they get changed, and then they go off to the church because they have a guest speaker that night. And here's the topic he's speaking on, why the world is going to hell. Isn't that amazing? Like He's just been allowing the world to go to hell all through his day. And then he goes and listens about it. Now, I want you to understand that all those things are good. Accountability, we stress that, actually. We want people to be in small groups together to make one another accountable. And we want to have quiet times of prayer and meditation. We need that. And we need to hear people speak about God's Word But if that's all we do and neglect the world, then that's bad. Jesus calls his followers to be salt and light. And salt is a preservative. It actually adds pizzazz to things. Now, we've actually discovered potato pizzazz. Have you ever had that? You you whip your potatoes until they're kind of mushy. My wife doesn't like it like that, but they're great that way. And then you just put some potato pizzazz in and stir it around a little more. And our kids just love that. And that's what we're to be in the world. We're to add a little pizzazz says to our world. And then he says we're to be light. And what does light do? Light drives out the darkness. That's an amazing presence. Everywhere we go, we just drive the darkness away because of the presence of Christ in us. Now, I was going to say this morning that there are, well, there are dozens of lights here. There are fewer lights than maybe normal. But You know something? Our light doesn't shine the brightest here. It's when we're out in the world that our light is most bright. So we need to get out there. We need to be with people. We need to share with them. We need to be involved in their lives. So get out of your comfort zone and invest in building relationships with lost people. But be on guard. Make certain that they aren't having more of an influence on you than you are having on them. Just ask yourself, honestly, am I bringing them up or are they bringing me down? The evangelism takes place because we invest time and relationships are formed. Roberta Kuhn, who wrote Seize the Moment, Share the Truth, said this, let's give them what so few people will, our time, our hearts, our listening ears, I have discovered that people will most often come to love us before they love our Savior. And that is so true, that last line of what she said. They're going to trust us and love us before they're going to trust and love our Savior, Jesus Christ. If we tell them about somebody that seems to be so foreign to us and the way we live our lives, it's not going to make any influence with them at all. So what's that going to look like for you? 
In our Western culture mindset, we see people as interruptions, don't we? But if it wasn't for interruptions, Jesus wouldn't have had a ministry. He would walk through a town, and people would come up to him for healing. They would come up to him wanting him to teach them. And he paid attention to every one of those needs. He built margin into his schedule. See, the lost weren't seen as an enemy or the problem. They were seen as his number one priority. They weren't seen as the enemy or the problem. The lost were seen as his number one priority. So he listened. I attended a leadership event once, and one of the speakers said, you pastors out there, do you start the day with a to-do list? And I nodded, yeah. And then he said, and at the end of the day, is your to-do list longer than when you started? And I nodded again, because there are all those interruptions. But he said, you know, that's good, those interruptions. That means you're working in the lives of people. That means you're ministering to people. People need to hear about Jesus. So in in the New Testament, Peter just assumed that Christians would be talking to unbelievers. So in 1 Peter 3, 15, he said, Honor Christ and let him be the Lord of your life. Always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you about your hope. Now, if you can't do that, like speak to me, speak to our other leadership here so that we can help you come up with just something simple, a hundred words to describe your life, the change in your life because Christ is in your life. And then he said, give a kind and respectful answer and keep your conscience clear. This way you will make people ashamed for saying bad things about your good conduct as a follower of Jesus Christ. So when we look for those who are spiritually lost and listen to them, that's when Satan is just thrown to the side. And that's when God does his best work. And sometimes all we do is simply plant some seeds. And just like I mentioned with Yi Ming, and later on, we hear about the harvest. Or maybe we don't even see it in our lifetime, but the Holy Spirit will work on that heart. Remember, we will never experience a harvest if we don't plant seeds. And then we've got to love the lost. That's the highest motivation for sharing our faith. And every day, you will see your role as a representative of Jesus Christ. Because in John chapter 13, 35, if you love each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So if people see us loving one another, if they see us loving the other Christians in the world, then they're just going to say, okay, there's something different about these people. They're going to know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. But you might say, oh, but my boss, the way he acts is repulsive. Or you might think about one of your neighbors and he's just constantly belittling your faith. And you're saying, like, how can I love someone that acts like that or someone that speaks like that? Like Joe Aldrich says, remember, non-believers are not the enemy but victims of the enemy. Write that down if you have a piece of paper. Non-believers are not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. So no matter how they live their lives, it's an opportunity for you to minister in their lives. Now, my oldest daughter's wedding reception was a little on the wild side. She plays rugby, and she had rugby friends there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, my... My relatives from PEI, this is just off the cuff, but you might be here a minute or two longer. But 
oh, the jaws from my relatives from PEI just dropped at some of the things they saw happen. But I, I was just rejoicing because there were unbelievers there, and through the message I was able to share in Brittany's wedding ceremony and through our conduct at the reception, we were able to plant some seeds. So it, it's okay if people act kind of wild and take off their shirts and dance around your daughter. Like, I, I just wanted to go over and elbow some of those big stomachs. But it was a tradition within the rugby club, a shirt-soft dance where they crowd around the bride. And yeah, I had a, a better physique than most of them. Anyway, oh, where was I? Um... So we begin to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And, and when we do that, and we have an opportunity to say something about our faith in Jesus Christ, like we'll man up at that moment. We won't clam up or anything like that. We will speak up, and we will share our faith. And there are a couple of ways you can show love to people who haven't yet accepted Jesus Christ. And once again, the model is Jesus himself. Because in John chapter 8, It talks about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law bringing this woman before Jesus. And they kind of stand her in the middle of the group, and they're all kind of making a circle around her. And they say to Jesus, this woman was caught committing adultery. The law of Moses says that she should be stoned to death. What do you think? And they're doing this because they're trying to trick him. Any way they can catch him up in this so they can accuse him and have some evidence to go to the authorities with. But Jesus doesn't say anything. He just gets down on one knee and he starts writing in the dirt. And they're quiet for a while and then they're getting kind of annoyed and they go, Jesus, what about this woman? What are we going to do? And then he said, Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And I kind of believe that he said, let the one who is without this sin cast the first stone. And then he starts writing in the ground again. And then one after another, they kind of walk over where he is. They look at what he's doing. And I'm sure they see him writing their name in the dirt. And they just drop that stone and they walk away. And then Jesus approaches the woman and he says to her, well, who accuses you now? And in chapter 8, verse 11, she says, no, sir, Uh, the woman answered. Then Jesus told her, I am not going to accuse you either. You may go now. So we need to learn a lesson from this woman. The people that are unfamiliar with the gospel story, they're full of guilt, and it's actually tearing them apart. They might not tell you that, but it is, and they need an act of grace in their lives. They don't need judgment. That's why Jesus didn't judge her. He told her, like, go, you're forgiven here. I am not going to accuse you. We're not trying to win a debate when we talk to an unbeliever. Yes, last night I was talking to a man in my office and he's sharing his faith with some people and he told me how he did that and he had some things that weren't quite right in there. It wasn't messing up as far as who Jesus is or how we find faith in Christ, but a couple of his illustrations weren't quite right. But we'll grow, we'll keep teaching him and he'll improve on that. But you're not going to correct people on everything that they do. So Jesus extended grace, 
And the second way that he loved the lost was actually through expressing the truth. We need to look at the end of this verse because I just did what most people do when they read John 8, verse 11. They don't read the end of the verse. So here's the whole verse again. No, sir, the woman answered. Then Jesus told her, I'm not going to accuse you either. You may go now, which is where I stopped before, but don't sin anymore. So that's grace and truth combined. He's saying, okay, I'm not going to accuse you. You are forgiven, but don't go out there and keep living the same way. I want you to go in the opposite direction of a life of sin in your life. Now you might say, well, you know, that's kind of cutting into a person's private life. Or you might say, I'm not an extrovert. I have a tough time talking to people. There's one great example within the disciples. Peter and Andrew, his brother. Peter was the extrovert. Peter got to be standing up in front of the 3,000 people on the day the church started, the day of Pentecost. He got to share that first message. Andrew's kind of in the background. But every time his name is mentioned in the book of John, he's bringing someone to Jesus. He's bringing another disciple to Jesus. So it doesn't matter what your gift set is. We can all work equally in bringing people to Jesus Christ. And Satan, he's going to whisper in your ears. He's going to say, oh, you don't know enough about the Bible. Or they're going to ask questions. And it's just going to embarrass you. But if you think about it, Most non-Christians are turned off by hypocrisy. They're turned off by Christians pretending to know everything, much less than they are turned off by someone who doesn't know everything about complex spiritual matters. And they say, look, I'm going to go talk to one of our pastors or I'm going to go talk to one of the elders or, or other leaders in our church. People appreciate that. Today, we're asking you to make a commitment because we want to count you in. And for six weeks now, we've been talking about the expectations. The first week it was, I will love God by worshiping together at least one hour a week. I will read God's word. And then it was, I will love people. And then it was, I will give generously. And two weeks ago, James spoke about the fact that we will serve others. So today, the expectation is, I will share my faith with others. And first of all, I want to speak to those of you who are already immersed believers in Jesus Christ and you have already formally identified with our congregation. Satan would love to have you just a casual observer, just coming here to worship on Sunday mornings and nothing else. But we want so much more than that. So I'm just going to say, can you give me a nod that you're going to be serious about this and we can count you in? It's just a simple head nod and Klong's not even taking pictures at this moment so we won't know whose head is nodding. This is a personal commitment from you that you are going to get deeper into this Christian thing. And then maybe you've been attending regularly and perhaps haven't accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life and been immersed into him. And this would be a great day to make that decision. Because maybe you made the decision long ago and you just never had the opportunity to follow through with baptism. It might have been because of fear. It might have been because of your faith tradition. Or you might have just said, you know, I'll get to that later. Well, today is later. When uh, our kids were growing up, 
we always went to PEI during summer vacation. And now they're growing up. We still always go to PEI <laughs> for summer vacation. But we'd inevitably get to the beach. And I'm not a water warrior, as they call people. They just love to be out in the water all the time. So my wife, Pat, and our daughters would take off, and i just kind of lay back and, and, and read. And then after a while, Dad, aren't you coming in the water? Reading my Bible. So that would buy me a little bit of time. And then they'd be having fun, and then, come on, Dad. And, oh, the water's cold. And then I'd say, I'll get my hair wet. What hair? So... They'd be persistent and patient, so I'd go to the water. Well, then I step in. The water around PEI is not warm. You're up to your ankles, and you have to make a decision. Am I going to inch in slowly and just drive myself crazy, or am I going to take a big run as far as I can and dive under? Because if you do that, there's an initial shock, but your body gets used to it, and you can stay in there, and you can have a great time. And my family's happy that I'm in there. They don't care that it took a while for me to make that decision. They're just glad I'm there. And, you know, that's the way it is in the church. Sometimes it takes a while for people to make those decisions. And in the church, it's so easy to sit there and not get involved and make excuses for why we're content to just be observers and not participants. 